alcohol and uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies? Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast, Poland and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 40th episode of Polcast. In this episode we will tell you... How two Polish Canadians celebrate the 150th birthday of Canada this year and why everybody falls in love with Red Couch Project. About a young Paul who earned a prestigious scholarship to study in a posh boarding school in England and now studies medicine in Cambridge University and what he's doing to give back to the community. How I happened to meet the Minister of Housing of Guyana at the Polish consulate in Toronto and why she's flying to Poland. And what a young man from India working in Denmark and dating a Polish-Canadian girl thinks about Poles and Poland. In our series Non-Poles About Poles, we present Jinish, who comes from India, works in Denmark, and has a Polish-Canadian girlfriend, Kasia. Welcome to the small world of the 21st century with no boundaries. We reach Jinish in Copenhagen. I am Indian. I was born in India, and most of my life I have actually been in India. Uh, until 2007, when I moved to UK for six years, I believe. And then I moved back to India, started working for Microsoft and worked for them for about two years and then moved to Denmark. I've just been all over the place, really. So I was in UK and I was actually looking to, to move to Canada at a point when one of our friends introduced me to, to Kasha. And then we just got chatting and then, you know, I mean, things just took off from there. But I've never actually been to Canada. Uh, so Kasha's actually visited me one time to India, a couple of times to UK, and now not to Denmark. So she's the one who's actually been doing all the traveling. Now, Jinish, tell me about her Polishness. She's Canadian, but she's Polish. Like, Polishness is a big thing in her life. How do you respond to that? I've, I've had a lot of Polish friends before I met, met Kasha. Like, I've, I've like, always been... Um, uh, happy around Polish people. They're just like really nice people. They're very honest people, you know, very hardworking as well. And that's some traits that I really see in, in, in Kasia as well. And she loves Poland, which which I think is, is, is very nice because that family culture, you know, it's just like, you know, being close to your family. I think that she, she's actually very close to her brother and her parents as well, which is a fantastic thing for me because that's how I was bred and raised too. We do have plans to go to Poland in about August sometime. How does Polish sound to you when you hear the language? <laughs> it's really very fast. Like, it's it's an amazing language. I tried speaking Polish a little bit. Uh, I can get around talking just a little bit. And my accent doesn't sound too too funny, too. I mean, that's what Kasia told me. Uh, so, <laughs> But it's difficult. Um, for me to speak Polish would be like years and years of practice. It's like, it just gives me tongue twisters. The 
They radiate energy and enthusiasm. Two friends who created a unique idea which they conceived of three years ago and which has found so much support and interest in Canada that it became a reality. There are three of them. Two Polish-Canadians, Ella Kinowska and Peter Sobieraiski, and the Red Couch with the Canada 150 logo. The three will travel across our vast country, which this year celebrates its 150th birthday. Those who are invited to sit on it share their stories, which reflect the incredible mosaic of the Canadian society from coast to coast to coast. I sat on the red couch in the Polish consulate in Toronto, sharing my story, and then the roles reversed. Ella and Peter told me the story of the red couch tour. You're sitting on the sofa, the, the red couch, which has been traveling now for quite a while, but it's going to go even further. Let's go back to the beginning of this whole story. How did this happen? How did you come up with the idea? Our project was born uh, about three years ago in Chelsea where I have Chelsea, a house, Quebec. Quebec, where I have a house, and uh, just outside I, Ottawa, actually. Just outside Ottawa, and my partner Peter, who's sitting on the couch yes. with me right now, uh, delivered a sofa that I bought from his house, actually, to my house. Mm -hmm. It was a second-hand sofa that was red, that was an Ikea sofa, and uh, I actually, when he delivered, I was late, so he put it out in a bank of that, snow. It was actually a beautiful day, it was a really yeah. sunny day, and, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I thought, wow. I'm just gonna put the sofa in the snow, wait for Ella. And then when I arrived, I saw this uh, spectacular image where reminded, which reminded <laughs> me of a Canadian flag. And then, uh, you know, he came to the house, we opened a bottle of wine, of course, everything happens with good wine and good food and good conversation. And we said, hey, you know, maybe we should uh, do a project, go across the country. And uh, he always wanted to travel in an RV and cross Canada. And I'm a photographer, I wanted to take pictures of Canadians. So we combined two elements. And uh, two years later, we pitched to Canada 150 Fund mm -hmm. uh, for a project. And uh, there was uh, 400 applicants, and they chose 38. And our project uh, is one of them to celebrate 150. They're called uh, actually signature projects, so the mm -hmm. most important project, pan-Canadian in nature. That means that uh, this project will actually impact all Canadians from coast to coast. To coast. to coast. That's right. So okay. traveling couch, yes. That's right. Traveling couch. It's red. It's got a beautiful Canada 150 uh, logo. And you started in Ottawa. No, we have to go back to couch because couch is actually made in Winnipeg. Uh, right. When we were starting the project, those couches that I actually delivered to Ella, they, they were made in IKEA. The, the Heritage Canada was pointing that we can use IKEA couch, so... So you had a custom-made couch. We were looking actually to buy a red couch uh, that will be made in Canada, and we didn't find it. There was uh, two that they were nice, they were looking mm -hmm. good, but they were made in China. Yeah, so this is how the story began with the couch. So the couch is the centerpiece to the story. It kind of weaves together the story. So uh, when it was made in Winnipeg, it was on its way to Ottawa. We had an unveiling ceremony at the Museum of History uh, with the executive director of Canada 150 Fund, with uh, my MP from Chelsea that unveiled, and that was the beginning of the story. So December 15th, the, the, the couch arrives, and we embark on a journey. The journey actually started on uh, 
December 31st at New Year's Eve when we had a couch at a museum of history that we started collecting stories from there and we invited Canadians to have a seat and uh, tell us what Canada means to them because this is the concept we invite Canadians they tell us what Canada means to them at 150 uh, we taped that and we diffuse this information on uh, social media but the real story really starts when it embarks on the travel, which means March 1st, we're going uh, to the north. We're starting our northern tour. So we'll go to Iqaluit, Nunavut, then from there to Church of Manitoba, from Church of Manitoba to to Rankin Inlet, from Rankin Inlet to uh, Whitehorse, no, yellow knife in between White Horse and then back to Ottawa. So this is the northern turn component. And then in the summer, we're crossing Canada in an RV. So two of us and the crew and uh, the couch. I can imagine how you travel. It's not so hard to imagine. But how does this couch travel? The first flight to equal it, it's... It they promise the couch is going to go whole on the one piece to, to the plane because uh, okay. go, yeah, that town there, it's basically all the supplies, it's, it's by, by, by air. Mm -hmm. But uh, some flights, we have a big problem because a couch can't fit to the cargo space on the plane. This couch travels everywhere with us. So by plane, by train to Churchill, by the way, then uh, by car, by a ferry, so everywhere we go, the couch goes with us. Can you fold it? Put a part in four pieces, right? Peter? Four pieces, yes. The, uh -huh. Actually, the sides can go off, uh, the part that we're sitting on, and the back can go in four separate pieces, and uh, that's how we actually gonna fly in those small planes, hopefully. Okay. Yeah. So this is how it's transport. Now, once you get to the place where you wanna be, you yes. put people on the couch, that's correct. and you listen to their stories, you film them. Yes, that's correct. And you've already done a lot. How many have you done by, by now? Today, we're the 23rd of February, you're in Toronto. Yes. That's before your big northern yes. trip. So How many have you done? We have about 50, I would say, because we were present at uh, the Winterlude Festival in Ottawa. Right. And uh, we had the couch in the park. People, you know, enthusiastically would sit, spontaneously sit and share their stories. Uh, my name's Daniel Ashley, and I'm here with uh, my good friends Jesse and David from the Dakaquan Dancers. We're from Whitehorse, Yukon. Very happy to be hosted here uh, in Ottawa, and uh, we'd like to pay tribute to uh, the Algonquin Nation for having us on their traditional territory. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're here to have a conversation about Canada. 150 years plus all of that time that came before with uh, all of our gracious and wonderful First Nations uh, brothers and sisters. And just want to acknowledge them and the fact that that is really a, a special part of the history of Canada because it's the majority of the history of Canada. But I would like to also say we've had a great time uh, working on all kinds of things together. And now I'm going to uh, pass you over to my, my good friend Jesse here, who's going to tell you about himself in Clinket. We also want to invite uh, people from all over Canada and the world to come visit us up in the Yukon. Uh, we are very proud to be uh, a territory that has uh, many self governing First Nations, and we work together with. Uh, First Nations people in the Yukon and also all the various artists and people who live up there and we truly believe in uh, a peaceful and harmonious society based on respect. So come visit us. Fly on Air North. They fly right from Ottawa. They got us here 
So, and it's, it's so nice. You just get on the plane, you fly basically across the Arctic, you stop in Yellowknife, and then you're in the Yukon. So if you actually want to see Canada's north, get on Air North. And two pieces of luggage you can yeah, check in. That's right, two pieces of and luggage. They feed you fed. on the plane. They feed you Shepherd's warm meal. pie on the plane. Yeah. They're the only airline that lets us Owned bring these hats. Nations people. <laughs> you got to yeah. take Air North. Yeah, yeah, take Air North. Yukon's airline. Can I get a hoo-ha? And actually, listeners can go on our uh, Facebook page and uh, see those stories, actually, and listen to the ones we picked, right? The ones that we picked. At the end of the project, we'll have 150 selected stories Mm -hmm. that will make one piece, really, a collective portrait of Canada. So, available online, or you can make a film as well, or yes. Speaking of film, so one element is those stories that we do for Heritage Canada, a collective portrait of Canada, but. But this project is so exciting that I think really what it calls for is a secondary project to it, which is a documentary film that we'll be making with our own funds. And uh, that's a separate story on its own. It will start with our RV trip. So we're taking a filmmaker actually from Poland with us, mm-hmm. and he will be with us 24-7. So if we kill each other, it's going to be a drama. Okay. Or a romantic story. I don't know. We either you know marry each other or kill yeah. each other or anything in between is possible. And we, that film will be on the actual experience. Yes. Of, the yes. making of is the, the title working of. title is the making of the red mm-hmm. couch. Now let's talk about the Polish element. There's a Polish segment in which you actually put people on the couch like you did put me on the couch and I was supposed to talk in Polish about who I am and what I have done yes. for Canada. How many of these stories do you collect and what's going to happen to those stories? I mean I have to say first of all that we're doing that in partnership with the uh, Polish Embassy mm-hmm. and uh, we want to emphasize the Polish contribution into uh, Canadian society so we're looking for Polish stories we're looking for stories that will help us actually uh, understand how the Polish community contributed to building this country and how we all celebrate so how we are part of this mosaic Right. of Canada. And what's going to happen to that. those stories? Those stories are going to be diffused, like by, you know, uh, again, the embassy will decide mm-hmm. through which channels, but they, for sure it will be part of celebrations uh, for uh, November 11th in Ottawa. But there's also something we talked about before. You mentioned the collaboration between the two, uh, two museums of immigration, one in Poland, one in Halifax. This is kind of our project that's in, in the working, I would call that. That's an idea that was born when I visited Poland recently in uh, January and I met with the Canadian Embassy and introduced them to the project. Actually, they knew about the project, what's interesting. Mm-hmm. By, by the time I showed up, they said, oh, you're the lady with the red couch, the we red love couch. it, right? <laughs> so when could, what could we do together? So uh, what uh, I proposed is that we could collect these stories, the Polish immigrant stories, and uh, have them presented actually in both museums that will make, you know, the kind of the Canadian, uh, Polish-Canadian component of immigration. And uh, as a matter of fact, the Canadian Embassy is preparing an exhibition uh, for Canada 150 at the Museum of Immigration in Gdynia, which is my hometown. You know, I actually witnessed uh, people that left uh, Poland for Canada in in the 60s, I remember. They were staying in my house. So, I mean, I have a very personal attachment to that. Uh, the same time, we would like to build a bridge between the two museums and present those stories that we collect here 
Polish stories, give them to the Museum of Immigration in uh, Halifax. So So it's become a really big project and it's just getting bigger and bigger and you have more and more ideas and I'm sure there will be even more. Yes, uh, there's uh, those ideas about uh, traveling couch. I I think we're going to put this couch on a canoe. We're going to make the uh, canal in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. We're going to try to connect with balloon and fly over the town too. That's new to me. You know what I think you should do? You should carry it on your back up the stairs at the it's not heavy. It's only 20 kilos. Yes, yeah, it's, it's possible. It is it's possible. possible. People yes. do that. There's actually a contest. Yeah, we should actually. We should. Uh, okay, maybe. This uh, is a good idea. Maybe I should start exercising. Can you know yes, take myself in, right. in shape? Right. Uh, right. Starting from tomorrow. <laughs> what do you want me to wish you for this huge trip that's lying ahead of you? Well, the first wish is that you know uh, that sofa does not fall <laughs> apart. Yes. Yeah. Oh, but but, but yeah. we have a spare one. Just you have yeah. Plan yeah. B yeah. and a spare yeah. sofa. Uh, okay. So if you could wish us, I mean, good luck. Of course, it's yeah. it's a humongous undertaking in terms yeah. of logistics. If you could wish us that, we really will get the sofa from Rankin Inlet to yellow to yellow night because this is now what we are working on and it's uh, we still don't know how this stuff is going to get there so uh, with of course uh, support of uh, many people of goodwill with the support of the government of Canada funding with the support of our sponsors airlines that uh, you know you never heard of calm airlines you know or, so all these small connections. Uh, connections they make that happen and they they, they, they sponsor us even via rail sponsor our tickets and they they're doing a stop for uh, five hours Thompson, in Thompson, in Thompson and yeah. we'll take the sofa out and we'll invite people from actually Different. indigenous communities they're in the middle of nowhere so that's fantastic we'll reach Rankin Inlet who goes to Rankin Inlet or Hudson Bay it's the only mean, way to get there it's by plane there's no other way so and celebrate 150 so this is what we're trying to do and we're trying to demonstrate that impossible is possible this project has been born, conceived by the Polish immigrants that are crazy and love this country. And this is the time to give back to that Canada is. what Canada gave to us. To learn more about the Red Couch Tour project, which we find incredibly exciting and valuable, please visit our website, mypolcast.com. Polcast has undertaken to collaborate with Ella and Peter, and you will hear more about the Red Couch and its trips in the future. As you know, our podcast, which has a global scope and presents stories from around the world, is produced in Canada. Tomek and I are proud Polish Canadians who adore our chosen second country and are happy to celebrate its 150th birthday. Canada and Canadian stories have a special place in podcast, of course, and we have presented our global listeners with dozens of them. You can access them all at mypolcast.com slash tag slash Canada. mypolcast.com slash tag slash Canada. This is our red couch, a place to record amazing stories of Poles in Canada and Canadians linked to Poland. By doing so, we want to celebrate the 150th anniversary of one and only such country in the world, Canada, which we love and respect. Through those stories, we wish to show that Canada is special, welcoming, and truly open to all people who constitute its mosaic.
Smachnego. We're here talking about our love for eating Polish. My name is Peter. And my name is Laura. And we wrote two heritage cookbooks called Classic Polish Recipes and Classic Polish Desserts, where all the recipes have been handed down from previous generations. But updated for modern kitchens, so no more pinch of this or glass of that. Today, we're going to be talking about Laura's beloved strawberry pie. Strawberries are a favorite fruit in Poland, and the number of recipes for strawberry dishes could stretch from Russia to Germany or from the Baltic Sea to Slovakia many times over. We can't wait until late spring to visit our local farm uh, when berries are ripe so we can get in on that fresh-picked sweet goodness. But until then, there are plenty of strawberries in the grocery stores, and even the frozen ones are great with this recipe. We just got some berries at the market. On the way home, Laura asked if I had any requests for those berries, and I chose her strawberry pie in a nanosecond because it's absolutely to die for and super easy to make. This is one of Laura's signature recipes, which she's tweaked and perfected over many years. We know that local farm-picked berries are best, but when we got home, we wanted to taste test the fresh berries against a bag of frozen berries that we had just bought the day before at one of the big box stores. We defrosted the frozen berries in cold water and placed them on a plate next to the fresh ones, which had been shipped in from California. And while they both looked picture perfect on the outside, the California ones were quite pale in the center, but the frozen strawberries were deep red throughout. We bit into each one of them, and we rolled the fruit around our taste buds just like a fine wine. The California berries were rather bland, and they didn't have that intense strawberry flavor, simply because they were picked before their time. But the frozen berries were juicy because they had been frozen, and they had a stronger aroma and a more intense flavor. But they did not have that solid, firm texture we expect from fresh berries. Frankly, they were mushy. The frozen ones are better for cooking or pureeing for sauces or cocktails. The best of the best, of course, would have been the berries from our local farm if we had some. Deep red throughout, kissed by the sun, and dripping with juicy, intense strawberry essence. Well, there's an obvious moral to this story. If you have access to a berry farm or a farmer's market, it's well worth the extra pennies to buy berries that are totally satisfying. To make Laura's strawberry pie, you'll need a 9-inch pie crust, either homemade or store-bought, 2 quarts of strawberries, cornstarch, sugar, water, and butter. And that's it. Super simple. Wash the strawberries and remove the hulls. You'll then take half of those berries and make a mash by adding water and sugar. Then bring that to a boil in your microwave. In your microwave? Well, add some cornstarch, heat for a couple more minutes, and finally stir in the butter. The end result is a smooth, pink, fairly thick sauce or glaze. Cool the glaze for at least 30 minutes. Arrange the remaining strawberries, either whole or sliced, in the baked and cold pie crust. Pour the cooled strawberry glaze mixture evenly over the top of the berries. Refrigerate until set, about three hours before serving. Garnish with whipped cream if desired. Of course it's desired. Are you kidding? Say, what about substituting other berries? Of course you can. This would be great with raspberries, blueberries, whatever you have access to. 
So that's Laura's strawberry pie. The full recipe and information about our heritage cookbooks is on our website, www.polishclassiccooking.com. Just scroll down to the article posted on April 17, 2016. While I was interviewing Ella and Piotr about the Red Couch project in the Polish consulate in Toronto, it turned out that there was a meeting going on in another room. Consul General Grzegorz Morawski had very special guests. Minister of Communities responsible for housing of Guyana, the Honorable Valerie Adams Patterson, with her official delegation, who came to get their Polish visas on the way to Poland. The delegation from Guyana was accompanied by Tom Krupa, a Polish-Canadian businessman, and his business partner Esmond Gamo Klaas, a Canadian of Guyanese extraction, whose company, Greenheart Tree Energy, organized the delegation's trip. What a treat! We sat on the red couch to have an impromptu interview about this interesting Guyana-Poland-Canada story. So I have the great pleasure to talk to two wonderful people who are on the Polish soil because we're actually in the consulate of the Republic of Poland in Toronto. And can I have your name, please? I'm Minister Valerie Adams Patterson. Fantastic. From Guyana. Yes, I'm responsible for housing in Guyana. Right. And this gentleman here. I'm Esmonde Gamel Class. I'm Guyanese Canadian. The reason why you're here is maybe we should start with you because you made it happen. I actually didn't make it happen. My partner made it happen. He's in Poland, but I'm part of it. Um, basically, we are on our way to Poland to basically look at some housing solutions for Guyana. And so we thought we'd get the best person who could possibly look at that, which is the Honorable Minister, to have a first-hand look at what we could do for Guyana. Okay, what did you find out? Well, um, I'm only here yesterday, and today we're here to uplift our Polish visas. And so we leave tomorrow for Poland. I'm excited to go to Poland to see the housing development there. Because in Guyana, we have now embarked on new housing projects. And um, I think the company which Gamo represents and his partner, Tom, who I would wish to be here in this interview, but because Tom is the one behind all this and he has made it possible, you know, and... um, Yes, this Tom is, is the coming man. to our interview. Tom, can you introduce yourself? Yes, it's uh, Thomas Krupa. I'm uh, the partner uh, with uh, GAMO, with Desmond Class, and uh, we're honored to invite the uh, minister and the delegation to Poland to see the possibility of bringing the new technology from Poland to Guyana. Okay, and what does your company exactly do? Our company, Greenheart Tree Energy, it's a Guyanese uh, company. Uh, we are bringing the newest technologies from different countries, uh, Canada, uh, Poland, and China. So that's what we now specialize uh, and uh, with new possibilities uh, and discovery of oil in Guyana, uh, we have a very beautiful uh, future uh, working together. Okay, so congratulations on finding the oil, because yes. that's definitely good for your country. Oh, that's a big boost for When Guyana. did that happen? Oh, let's say about a year and a half ago. So very recently. Um, we haven't actually started the exploration, but that will be soon. And I know that it will definitely bring massive development to Guyana. And to bring a lot of our Guyanese back home. Right. And other, like the Polish people, 
So we're all coming <laughs> and to visit Canada, you. You're all coming that. to Vienna. <laughs> Why did you choose Poland? Well, Poland chose us <laughs> because I believe that the combination of Tom and Gamo, they have seen um, the possibilities in Guyana. And I said with the new government that came into office in 2015, we have a new housing drive. And we are also open to new technologies. And I think Poland offers that kind of um, education, that kind of skill and development. And we're happy to partner with Poland to have bring this kind of development to Guyana and to Guyanese. So what is it that you will be buying from Poland? Well, actually, in Guyana, the culture is that we build single homes um, basically with concrete and wood, green heart and other. Um, we're big on lumber. Um, with the new technologies, there are so many, many different ways now and um, materials that are available to build. And we're hoping that we can have that, oh, we're going green. The world is going, is changing as technology changes, and we believe that we should. And so Poland offers this kind of um, development. Mm -hmm. And you obviously must have been comparing different offers from many different countries. In what way is the Polish more attractive to you than other countries? Well, actually, I have not yet seen what um, Poland is offering. I'm now going to see that. Mm -hmm. um, I, what I've seen is on paper, and I'm now going to have the actual experience. But from what I've seen so far on paper, I think that what we would like to have in Ghana, Poland can offer it to us. Fantastic. Now, how long are you staying in Poland? What's the plan of that visit? Oh, I'm staying there about five to six days. <laughs> and uh, I know the place is very cold, much unlike my kind of climate in Guyana. Like and um, I'm going to visit uh, a number of people. I'm going to do field visits in about four different locations in Poland to see um, the actual houses that are built. I'm meeting with a few um, government officials and I think we have two official um, okay activities and I'm looking forward to it. So Tom, where are you taking the minister? Yes, we are taking her first, uh, we landed uh, in Warsaw, uh, then we go to Gdańsk, we will spend uh, uh, one day, this is going to be a beautiful place, we will see as well the economic uh, free zone, and then we will visit two factories, uh, LS Home, producing uh, their uh, prefabricated homes. Mm -hmm. So then we drive down to Katowice, and then we will stay two days in there and we will go to Wrocław, visit another beautiful c company producing uh, windows and other accessories to the homes and then we will uh, back to Radziejowice and from Radziejowice to Warsaw meeting the officials Friday 2 p.m. with the ministers uh, and that's going to be the end of the tour and Sunday, Saturday morning uh, minister and the team they will come back to Toronto. For how long? Uh, for one day, and they're going to go back to... Uh, <laughs> can, I, can I ask 
why you're getting a Polish visa in Toronto. Uh, the closest uh, ambassador uh, is in Venezuela, Venezuela oh. and that is a little bit the problem uh, to go with the minister from uh, Guyana to Venezuela to uh, apply for the visa and losing one or two days. So the concept come from the, the consul to do the visa and the stop uh, in Toronto because that is the easiest way to go to uh, Europe and that's uh, with the uh, officials and the consul uh, we are very very happy to receive that treatment here and get the visa for the delegation so uh, tomorrow we will go so minister this is your first chance to step on the Polish ground yes it Polish is soil. I'm almost certain it wouldn't be the last I hope so too <laughs> I've just learned from both Tom and Gamo that I'm actually the first minister. I, I think Tom should explain it. I'm overwhelmed with this good news. Okay, so what's yes. the big news? This is a big news. Minister um, Patterson will be the first official uh, person in Poland meeting the government. So that's going to be the, the first meeting on that level. The in first minister from, from Guyana, Guyana yes. meeting really? and going to Poland. Are you excited? I'm excited. I never knew that. I, I mean, this news is really great for me. Fantastic. Really, yeah. Well, I wish you a wonderful time, and I'm uh, looking forward to hearing from you on how the deal went, okay? Oh, yes, and how many, how many houses we're going to build in Guyana, and we'll be happy to visit you in Guyana, Madam Minister. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'll be happy to, to have you visit Guyana. But just let me say this before we close, that one of the other reasons why we want to have the Polish um, homes, well, the technology, it's faster than what we have. We have the manual laying of block, concrete blocks and so on. And I think um, at the rate we want to go, um, as I said earlier, Poland has what we want. And so I think this is a great connection. We're hoping that Minister Patterson's visit to Poland turns out to be just a beginning of a long-term mutually beneficial collaboration and that Polish houses will become part of Guyana's new phase of development. One of our podcast listeners' favorite topics is language. Our Polish language, with its crazy inflectional endings and difficult pronunciation, is a challenge to learn. Both Polish and English are Indo-European languages, which means they are in some way related. Also, both have a lot of vocabulary coming from Latin and Greek, so there are many words in both languages that sound similar and mean the same. For example, Geografia Geography Skomplikowany. Complicated. Norma. Norm. Telefon. Telephone. Turista. Tourist. And many, many, many more. A while back, we talked about some vocabulary traps that non-Poles need to be very careful about. There are a number of words that sound and look very similar, both in English and in Polish, but their meanings are totally different. In linguistics, we call them false friends. So, beware of them as much as you should beware of false friends in real life. Take the word 
Hazard. The word exists both in English and in Polish and is pronounced in the same way, but the meanings are completely different. The English hazard means danger, for example, fire hazard. In Polish, the same word hazard means gambling. So if a Polish guy says in Polish that he loves hazard, it has nothing to do with danger or risk. Well, it may a bit as gambling is a rather dangerous and risky hobby. Another similar sounding pair is the Polish word lunatic and the English word lunatic. The only difference being the stress on the second syllable in Polish, lunatic, and the first syllable in English, lunatic. The true difference between this word and English is in the realm of meaning. We know that in English, this word is used to describe someone crazy, unstable. But what does it mean in Polish? In Polish, the word lunatic means someone who walks in his or her sleep, a sleepwalker, somnambulist. There are many other false friends pairs. We will talk about some more in the future. My good advice is, don't assume that if words sound the same or very similar, they mean the same, because they often don't. It's an annual event of high caliber, organized by students and meant for students of British universities who are Polish. This year's 10th Congress of Polish Student Societies in the UK, held in January, was hosted by the Polish student organization from Cambridge University. Its president is Jakub Nagrodzki, a student of medicine at Cambridge, who talks to Polcast about his educational path in Britain and the importance of the annual gatherings of students and their renowned guests. We reach Jakub in Cambridge. You study medicine at Cambridge University, which is one of the most incredible universities in the world. How did this all happen that you came to Cambridge to study? I was born in Poland, in Womża. Uh, it's a small town in the northeast, um, where I also attended the first two of my schools. Um, after that, I moved to Warsaw, um, and I was preparing to pass the International Baccalaureate there in a high school. Um, but during that period... I got a scholarship from um, United World Colleges to one of the private boarding schools here in the UK. Um, I attended this school, um, Worth School, um, in West Sussex in England. Um, I did my international baccalaureate here. Um, and after that, I applied to study medicine at Trinity College in, at the University of Cambridge. But that's so interesting because <laughs> you actually had the experience of a boarding school in England, which is, you know, in itself an interesting educational setting. How was it? Um, yeah, so I, I think that was one of the more interesting adventures in my life. Um, and I think in short, it's like Harry Potter. Yeah, J.K. Rowling, when she was um, writing um, the books, um, apparently based some of um, Hogwarts um, traditions and um, features on boarding schools to which um, she didn't have an access as a teenager. And um, unfortunately, she, she, she wasn't able to provide that sort of education for her children either. So it was, um, so for her, it was, um, kind of a, a way of giving her children access to um, to the adventure that boarding school is uh, by writing Harry Potter books. So yeah, so in short, being at a boarding school is like being in Harry Potter. <laughs> so it's a school situated um, 
on a beautiful campus um, in West Sussex, so amongst um, hills and rivers and meadows. And it's absolutely stunning. There's loads of free space. And in that setting, um, built are the boarding houses and the classrooms. And it's a really amazing um, thing for, for, for me coming from uh, state education in Poland. It was really amazing to see the kind of community spirit. So I think that that, that was um, the most um, stunning um, thing about, about that school and about any boarding school is the, um, the existence of boarding houses, the fact that everyone is in their own boarding house is very proud of it. And, um, you know, there are traditions surrounding it, such as, you know, ties and hymns and sort of certain features associated with people belonging to a particular house. Um, and that was really incredible. In addition, the, the school that I attended um, is a Catholic Benedictine school. Um, so, this, so the sense of the Catholic spiritual community was also very strong there, even though I'm not very religious myself. It, w it was a really fantastic experience. And, and at, at the same time, I have to say that it was also a very international um, experience. I met people from all over the world. Um, one of my, my best friends um, comes from Malaysia, uh, another one from Mexico. We all study in different countries now. Um, and and it, it's really, really um, incredible to have been given that opportunity. And in terms of academic uh, value must be or quality must be pretty high, I would imagine, right? Uh, yes, so that was also something that I had never known um, from, from state education in Poland before. The fact that, first of all, um, most teachers have incredible education. So, um, you know, they're mostly Oxbridge graduates with PhDs. Um, so, so, so that's really amazing in itself. Our languages courses um, were taught by um, native speakers um, exclusively. Um, and the, the groups in which um, we were taught were tiny. So my, my smallest group was two people in Spanish and my largest group was seven in biology. So this really, really allows you to, to, to get um, very close to the teacher and to get an, an educational experience that very few um, people have. If you were to just think about what are the biggest differences between um, the educational system um, in Poland and in England, what would those differences be? I think the, the biggest difference is what the emphasis is placed on in education. The British level or the, the international level, because um, as I said, I, I did my international baccalaureate here, um, is the emphasis on skills. So we are being taught to be able to think, to reason, um, to um, extract information from the sources we are given, rather than just to memorize facts. Um, which I feel is the more um, traditional but the less efficient model uh, practiced in many of the Polish schools. With your experience with students from Poland, you probably meet a lot of people who got the access to British education not earlier than at the post-secondary level, right? So do they find it very difficult? 
Um, I can't speak for, for others and, and say whether they find it difficult or not, but I'm definitely very, very glad that I did have the experience of a, of a um, British educational system because, um, well, the, the university um, education is obviously tailored towards um, the people who come in to receive it. Many of the skills that are required of first-year students here at Cambridge are skills that people in Polish high schools did not necessarily acquire. So these are, these are, for example, skills like essay writing, which we practiced a lot, but many of my fellow countrymen um, who study in the UK struggle with that. And how did you get involved in this whole big movement of Polish students in the UK, right? There's this Federation of Polish Student Societies in the UK, and I understand it has 32 members, so that means 32 organizations at various universities in Britain. The answer to this has to start with our own uh, Polish society here at the University of Cambridge. So not only is this um, one of the biggest, one of the most vibrant and most active Polish student societies in the United Kingdom, um, but also many of my friends are involved in it. So I naturally got drawn into this uh, community and into the um the activities of the Federation of Polish Student Societies. Um, and last year, as a representative of Cambridge University Polish Society, I applied um, to organize the 10th Congress of Polish Student Societies here at Cambridge as, as the project leader. Each year, the Congress is organized in a different location, and each year at the Congress, members of other Polish student societies apply Um, and present their own society as the candidate uh, host of the next Congress. So it works a little bit like um, the Olympics. And when um, you are the organizer, what does that involve? Yes, yeah, so, so being an organizer obviously involves um, inviting the speakers, renting out the venues and, and all that, and it does generate costs. The bulk of the cost um, or of the budget this year was covered by the ticket sales. Um, so although we try to keep the tickets Um, reasonably priced because it's a conference directed at students and students have never been known for possessing a great deal of money. The bulk of, of that cost is, is covered by the students themselves. There remain sponsors and partners, so these include both corporate and non-corporate sponsors and partners. Mm -hmm. Is it in any way supported by the university itself? Yes, um, we did receive honorary support uh, from the university and from our vice-chancellor, head of the university here. Um, and the vice-chancellor of the University of Cambridge is Sir Leszek Borysiewicz. So he, so he very um, generously granted his support um, for our initiative and indeed helped us invite um, some speakers. So the Congress is not just a social occasion, right? There's definitely much more uh, to it. The official um, aims of the Congress are the propagation of Polish culture and the knowledge about um, Poland abroad, um, but also the shaping of future leaders. So we do very much bear in mind that we, as young people studying here in the UK, will be the people who will be forming um, the Polish community, the, the Polonia, here um, on the British Isles later. So it is very important that we 
now connect back to our country and and integrate within ourselves. But also, we want to, this year in particular, we wanted to emphasize the career opportunities awaiting Polish students here in the UK back in Poland, um, as, as we feel like this is um, something that is frequently neglected. So there are very many facets um, to what the Congress does and why it is important. Um, but I think it's best summarized by saying that um, this year we built our event on four pillars, and each of these pillars um, is, is, a, is a fundamental function that the Congress is supposed to fulfill. So the four pillars were culture, career, politics and economics, and integration. Um, this year we had 250 student participants, and in addition to that, on top of that, um, we had sponsors, partners, special guests. In total, it was around 350 people. Most of the students will be staying in Britain for good when they graduate. What do you think? Will they go back to Poland? Um, I think it's about 50-50, although the vast majority say that they might go back. Um, and I think this might appear very recently with um, the political transformations that we're seeing um, and the political turmoil and the uncertain future of um, Polish students and Polish workers um, in the UK. Because of the Brexit? Yes, yes. I think that's a very important factor in, in influencing our decisions. And of course, the Polish government and the, and the uh, Polish community back in Poland sees this as, as an opportunity to... Um, perhaps jump in and tell us, young people here in the UK, how um, what opportunities await us in Poland and maybe try to convince us that coming back might indeed be a good option. I'm sure part of what you do, or I would imagine part of what you do, is probably also uh, spreading the Polish culture among those who are not Polish. Do you see that as, as one of the important um, goals? Absolutely. It's, it's one of the main aims of events like this. It's one of the main aims of us being here, actually. So us as ambassadors of Polish culture here. And um, indeed, Professor Pełczyński, who is the initiator of the Congress and Professor Emeritus of the University of Oxford, who attended the 10th Congress um, in Cambridge two weeks ago, um, emphasized how important that is and indeed asked all of us to remember about um, educating, spreading Polish culture uh, abroad. And um, I, think, I think it's true. I think it's one of the, the most important things that we as Polish students abroad can do. And here at Cambridge, we're particularly lucky to have... Um, a Polish studies program led by an amazing academic and a fantastic person, Dr. Stanley Bill, who is Australian without any links to Poland except being interested in. And let me tell you, he speaks fantastic Polish. He has a great accent and I have no idea how he does it, but he really, really loves Poland. Um, and what he does here at Cambridge is he passes on that fascination with our culture, with our language, with our literature to others, to students and not to Polish students, to students of languages and of foreign cultures here at Cambridge. And he does it in such a fantastic way that I feel like some of them probably know Poland better than I do. 
Um, and I myself um, am trying to do to do the same thing. So um, I think a, a living testimony to this is um, my flatmate, who is um, Portuguese, um, but is now learning Polish and was indeed one of the, 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 the most crucial elements of the team organizing the Congress of Polish Student Societies. So... Um, there is a great deal of interest in Poland, in Polish culture, and in Polish language out there. It's just a matter of finding the right people and of making the effort um, to spark up that interest in others. To learn more about the Congress of Polish Student Societies in the UK, please visit our website, mypolcast.com. Our podcast has jazz in its title. We have presented many jazz musicians and have talked about the important role that jazz played in Poland's journey to freedom during the times of communism. As a symbol of free world, it was banned officially, but cherished by Poles who lived under the communist regime. Jazz is still very popular in Poland, so popular that there are over 40 jazz festivals there. The oldest of them, and still running, started back in 1956. 61 years ago, in the seaside resort town of Sopot, located on the Baltic Sea. Interestingly, Sopot is also home to an important international song festival, the largest such event in Europe after the Eurovision Song Contest. The International Jazz Jamboree Festival in Warsaw is one of the biggest and oldest jazz festivals in Europe. The first uh, festival was organized in September 1958. It was three days long and was called Jazz 58. The first three editions of the festival took place in the very popular student club Stodoła. Then the festival moved to a more upscale venue, the National Philharmonic, Philharmonia Narodowa, one of the oldest musical institutions in Europe. Since 1965, all its editions have taken place in the huge concert hall called Sala Kongresowa, in the famous Palace of Culture in Warsaw, which seats almost 3,000. In its many years, and thanks to its international reputation, the festival featured such jazz giants as Duke Ellington, Miles Davis, Dave Brubeck, Benny Goodman, Wynton Marsalis, the Manhattan Transfer, Bobby McFerrin, Ray Charles, Keith Jarrett, Chick Corea, and Herbie Hancock. Another very popular jazz festival in Warsaw is Złota Tarka, International Festival of Traditional Jazz, also called the Old Jazz Meeting, in 2016 in its 48th year. The name Złota Tarka comes from the washboard, used as a musical instrument in traditional jazz music. With over 40 festivals all over Poland, you can listen to jazz in almost every Polish city. For example, the Krakow Jazz Autumn, organized since 2006 in Krakow's historic Jewish district of Kazimierz, aims to present the wonders of the contemporary improvised jazz scene. You've been listening to the 40th episode of Polcast.
podcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypodcast.com. We're always curious about your reactions, comments and suggestions. Also, ideas for the news stories. Please share them on our website, mypodcast.com. And we leave you with recording from one of the Polish jazz festivals, this one from city of Wrocław. Thank you for listening to Polcast. Kiedy wszyscy święci może idą do nieba, maestro zaczyna. Wielkie brawa!